0: Good evening, everyone. We're continuing our series, Mesilat Yesharim, Pat to the Jazz, by Luzzato the Ramchal. Uh, last week, uh, we finished chapter 19. It's uh, speaking about Chilkei hasidut different categories of Midat Hasidut. Hasidut, for those of you who forgot, it's uh, being above the requirements obligations, which means you have to do certain things that the Torah say you have to do, but some people reach a much higher level that they, not only that they do, they do it even for a a much higher level. And let's call Midat Hasidut. Today, chapter 20, chapter 20 is speaking about Mishkal HaHasidut, the weight of the Hasidut, whatever that means we will see soon. We have to understand, the Ramchal writes, that uh, there are many things that the evil inclination of a person can make you go far away from and describe it as bad to you. It's a, it's a, it's a mistake, obviously. It shows certain things that you think, ah, oh, I better stay away from it because it's very bad. And sometimes he takes big sins and make it look like a great mitzvah for you. Oh, it's, it's very good what I just did feel great about it. So what do we see? So he takes the black and turns it into white. He takes the white, turns it into black. And the person is not even aware. He's walking around, feeling great. I'm the biggest tzaddik in the world. And every day he makes a horrible scenes and is not aware of what he's doing. Or the other way around, he has an opportunity to make a huge mitzvah and he looks to him that if I'll do it, it's going to be a big sin. I better not do it. So the even inclination, the Satan is fooling a person so, so good that the person is not even aware that he's been fooled every second of his life. He lives in illusion, he's been fooled by the Satan, and he's not even aware of it. And you know the danger. When a person is aware of his critical situation, there's still a hope and a chance to correct. When a person is not aware that he's in a critical situation, he walks in the street smiling, When the heart attacks come, it's too late to take care of him. So this is the biggest danger, not being aware of the situation. And a person, the Ramchal says, there are three things that we have to talk about. First, that the heart of a person has to be honest. Some people know inside that they are wrong in their lifestyle or what they do. So there is a chance to correct. Some people, they already lie to themselves so much that they're already starting to get convinced that they actually, they're actually on the right path. So, yeli His heart should be the most decent and honest heart among all hearts. Okay. Also, the, uh, he has only one thing in his mind to make comfort in front of Hashem, to satisfy his creator. Not that he needs anything from him. Don't get the wrong impression. Hashem doesn't need anything from us. He's perfect before us, will be perfect after us. With or without us, we're not making any impression on him. But he speaks to us in a language that we can understand and appreciate. So when he's speaking to us, your sin makes me upset. It's not that he sits and really cry, literally. It's not tears to Hashem, because Hashem is a spiritual energy. We don't have an understanding exactly what it is, but we know it's a superpower who runs the show. But the the, the 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 way he speaks to us is, you're making me cry. That means for us to understand we're doing something negative. You're making me happy. So that's for us to understand that is really something positive. Uh, you're making me upset. You're making me angry. Do you really think God really gets angry? Like a person that breaks things because he's angry? No. But it's all in, in terms that people can understand. Otherwise, we won't have an understanding of what he wants from us. We won't know how to describe what's good, what's bad, because in his terms, compared to ours, it's two different words. So the Torah speaks to us in a language that we can understand. Not only that, one of the most important things in the life of a Jew that he has to pay attention to every detail of his life. Every detail, every little thing that happens to him in a day. Everything. He almost made an accident. He's thinking, what's going on here? Why did I g- come to this block? Why I ended up in this traffic? Why I'm running late to the lecture? Why I'm missing my business meeting? When a person is busy analyzing every little thing in his life, and pays attention, a chance to correct many little things is much higher. Person, leave the moment, doesn't think, just leave, whatever happened, happened. Person like this can never be righteous. And then, one more thing a person has to throw all his weight on God. My money is yours, everything I have is yours, you're running the world. That's it. I trust you 100%. I'm going to start calculating how much I make, how much I lose, what's going to be next year. I have to send the kids to, to Yeshiva. It's going to cost me an extra $1,000 a month. What's going to be all the time until he's going crazy. Most of the people suffer for no reason. They worry about the future all the time. And if you really see, if you go to the end of a life of a person, 99% of the things he was worried about was unnecessary. There Certain things to worry about, I'm not saying no. But almost nothing, it was all worrying for nothing. Stress, problem, agony, pain, sadness, crying, everything for nothing. And in the end, anyway, what you worry about is not in your end. So what's the point of sitting and crying? Oh, you worry, is you worry, you're planning. Many thoughts in the heart of a person, and the advice of Hashem, this is the one who will go through. Everything else, nothing, it's not in your end. And this is what King David wrote in Tehilim 84, Psalms 84. A lucky person, a happy person, it's a person that his strength is coming from you. I understand that everything he does is from you. God will never prevent good for those who trust him. Without all these calculations, trust him 100%, simple, don't do all these calculations, doesn't run to all this bubble. give me that, give me this bracha, make me special kamea, write for me something that I put in my pocket, all this nonsense, you're not going into this nonsense. You know 100%, you trust God, you speak to him, you have a problem, he is your father, is everything for you? Is your father? Is your friend? Is your boss? Is everything? Whatever you need, you have him. You don't have you. don't have anything. Many people surround themselves with many friends, but really, if you really realize that it, it's all phony, baloney. All these friends will not remember him in times of problems, and definitely won't protect him in a judgment day. But if a person is in good relationship with Hashem, basically, he is not missing anything. Trust Hashem one hundred percent. Then. If one of these things is missing in the life of a Jew, the Ramchal writes, he will not reach perfectness. He won't reach the perfect level. What are the things? Three things. We are now talking not diamonds. We're talking a big treasure here. If we get those three, we are the most successful people in history. We don't have them, or we have only some of them. We have a serious problem. What are the three? First, to have an honest heart. Honest heart. What's the difference between honest mouth and honest heart? Honest mouth, it's a tzaddik, it's a righteous person, doesn't say lie. Honest heart means that he's not even thinking a lie. His, his nature become decent. You know, many of us we want to lie badly in certain situations, but remember how I'm going to say this lie? I'm not allowed. I force myself to say the truth, and I feel horrible about it that now I had to confess about something and I'm losing money now. I'm getting a ticket now, because I, I said one lie to this cop. It, it will let me go. But then the Torah says, you should not lie. So what happened is, so I told him the truth, now he just gave me 100 bucks, 200, whatever. So what do you feel? See, the truth made me lose. But the honest heart doesn't even come to his mind, that there's a possibility to be a cheater or a liar. It's a much higher level. How many people reach this level in the world? It's very difficult, but it's a requirement. And the second thing, only I do what God wants me to do because he said so. Not because it pays for me, I'm going to get a better job, I'll get a better wife, My Rosh Yeshiva is going to recommend me because he will say that I'm a great learner and I learn and I'm a big tzaddik and I do all these things and no one is in my level. But really I'm thinking, what's in it for me? I'll be a famous rabbi, they invite me, I'll be famous, my wife's going to be the best one because they offer the best wives to the best learners. There's lots of calculations. Some people even choose which Yeshiva to go by thinking, where would I get a better Shiduch? Better, they don't think necessarily most, more righteous. If they think more righteous, it's mitzvah to go there. They think prettier. That's what they mean in their minds, prettier. Where will I go? I go to this yeshiva, they have a lot of girls, so automatically I'm going to be able to choose a pretty wife. If I go to that yeshiva, nobody knows them. They don't offer the nice shiduchim to that yeshiva. This is how he thinks. So for someone like this, everything he does is egoistic. He does for himself, nothing for the truth. So that's obviously a problem. So first, everything to be honest. Second, everything for the sake of heaven. And the third, to pay attention to every tiny detail of your life. Everything in your life, 100%, you're going to pay attention. Everything. What people told you, why they told you, why this has happened, why you miss something, why you lost something, why sometimes it's hard for you why you cannot fall asleep at night, all kinds of things. You analyze your life, slowly, slowly, you clean them. Then, if the person watched those three things carefully, is being innocent with Hashem in his mind, that's uh, doing all these tricks in order for him to achieve certain things, is paying attention to the deed, and he has confidence in Hashem, then nothing can happen to him. Remember what we think it's, ha- it's bad, nothing bad can happen to him. If we think it's bad, we think it's bad, but he doesn't. I give you an example of what I mean. After the Holocaust, the Klosenburg Rebbe came from Europe to New Jersey, to Union, New Jersey, and he established there a Hasidut, a neighborhood full of Hasidim that some survivors came from the war. And he built himself a shul, yeshiva, and today they became a, a serious Hasidut, Klosenberg, tans, it's a city. So two, things I, two stories I know about him, both of them are incredible. First story, on the way on the boat, there were 400 survivors, single guys on the boat. They're all survivors, they collected them from all over, and they come on a boat from Europe to America. And he had one extra pair of tzitzit. He had one on his body and one in his bag, and none of them had tzitzit. They came out of the war hardly had what to wear. So he said, I want to give this extra pair of tzitzit to one of you. At least another Jew will do a mitzvah, but I don't know which one. So let's make a lottery. Everyone get a note, and we'll pick up a number. And whenever a number came up, we'll get the tzitzit. So one of the guys was clever. He took his only shirt and ripped the side of it. He ripped here, and he ripped here. And said, see, Rabbi, now I have four corners, and that's my only shirt. So I must have a tzitzit. I gotta give it to me. But they are not obligated now from the Torah because they don't have four corners. But I now am obligated. So you gotta give it to me. Rabbi told him you're right, but you're also wrong. Why? If you would do it before I say, you're right. Then I had to give it to you. Since I already made an announcement, I cannot be a liar. So it's two obligations that contradict each other. I'll still keep what I say. But if you so much for the sake of heaven, I'm sure your number will come up. Which number came up? From 400 numbers, this guy's number. You see, he wanted to do it so badly, the mitzvah to, for Hashem, after being in a gas chambers, in a ghetto. Not only he did not kick and spit and was ungrateful, he came, Hashem, just give me the chance to serve you, after what he's seen. So you see, it's all a matter of choice. Some people chose the other way around. Some people chose, you know what? No. Whatever happened, Hashem has his reasons, and I'm going to stick to Hashem one way or the other. It's nothing to do about me, convenient. I like, I like it. What do I get in that? None of these things. So what happened in the end, his number came out. Then when the Klosenberg Rabbi came to New Jersey here, so one of the Hasidim came to him crying. He says to him, Rabbi, you know, you saw they killed my son. I cannot get, get over it, I'm sick, I cannot function. So they sit for half an hour and crying. The Rebbe and, and the person crying, crying, crying. After half an hour, this person realized that the Rebbe from Klosenberg, 11 of his children they killed in front of his eyes. He, this person lost one, he lost 11. So he said to him, wait a minute, Rebbe, I don't understand why we sit here and crying for me. I lost one son. You lost 11. You are much more miserable than me. We should cry for you. So that moment, he banged on the table and he said, God forbid. I'm not miserable. I'm the happiest man, man can live. I don't have any problem. So he said, so, oh, you're sitting and crying with me for my son. Now you lost 11. You tell me you don't have any problem. So he said to him, I see how much you suffer in your level. I enter your mind. And I feel your pain. That's why I'm crying with you. But I don't have this pain. I know it's all for good. You understand the difference? It's all in the head. You think you're miserable. You lost. You had a big diamond. You lost it. Your life is over. That's the way you think, by losing a child. I know. Life is a, it's like a bus stop. You get off here. You get on the next one. It's, we'll, eventually, we'll get to the right place. So it's a, it's a part of the journey. What's to cry in the middle? We get to the end, they will know how, what's our situation. But this is two different people with two different levels of confidence in Hashem. So it says like this, Hannah says in her prophecy, Hannah, in Samuel, it says like this, Hashem watched the legs of his followers. Hasidim. Why? Where to go? person wants to get on a plane and Muhammad is ready to blow out the plane. So Hashem turns his, leg, his legs to the wrong terminal. By the time he found out, he made a mistake, the plane took off. Why? He doesn't know. It looks like mistake. No, it's not a mistake, my friend. Hashem directed you where he wants you to be. David, como can say, King David, say in Psalm 37, verse 28, Lo et le'olam nishmaru. Hashem will never leave his followers. They will always have a special safety. He guards them. And also, one thing about Hasidut being a Hasid of Hashem, you should know one thing. A person should never be impressed from something who happens to him currently. Because it's only a beginning of a process. You don't get impressed. It's like buying a stock. You buy a stock right now, ten o'clock, ten a.m. The stock was uh, forty dollars. Now it's forty dollars and twenty cents. You bought a thousand share. Wow, so you're making Baruch Hashem already two hundred dollars in one minute. You know these fools after one minute. Well, <laughs> the two minutes when I can lose ten thousand dollars. Well thanks when you sold it. Oh, in the meantime any murvach, they say. I'm up uh, ten thousand dollars. Well, you're up. You're up on the paper, you are. In illusion you are. You're only up when the money is in your account. What's the point of laughing? One day you're up, one day you're down. His mood is according to how the screen is green or red. My friend, it's all an illusion. So far it's nothing. When you click the sell and you got a customer, you got your money, now you smile. That's it, you don't know. So a real Hasid... We always look, since the process is long, we don't know how it's going to turn. Anyway, we have no understanding. What's the point of crying right now? I missed the plane. Wow, people waiting for me. It's going to be a disaster. What am I going to say? They think I'm not responsible. It looks very bad. But it's a process, it's a beginning of something. You don't know what's going to come out of it. How many times you ended up in a place by mistake and the greatest thing happened to you? You know, I went last week to Nichum VeLim. A friend of mine passed away 63 years old, young, so I went to Brooklyn. I gave an hour lecture between Mincha and Arvid there. So I saw so many people there, some religious, some not, so we put a lot of CDs there. Now Hashem, put a pile of CDs, different CDs. The next day I get a phone call from a person that I'm looking for him for 15 years. 15 years I'm looking for him. I wonder, I'm killing myself. Where would I find this guy? Where will I find him? 15 years he's coming on and off to me. Where did this guy disappear? I wonder what happened to him. The next day he went there to Nichum Avelim. Apparently the person who passed away was his landlord. So when he heard, he's from Philadelphia now. I didn't know where he is. You know, the world, people move from one place to another. He ended up in Philadelphia. He's a tenant of the deceased person. And now his landlord, which was also his friend, passed away. So he went from Philadelphia to Brooklyn to comfort the family and found my CDs. And on my CD, you have my number. He called me up the next day. Everything you don't know. You come, you leave. The next day, somebody else comes there. Hashem puts everything together. The person never knows where we will end. So therefore, there's no reason to smile right now. There's no reason to cry. You wait and see where you're going to end. Then... A person always has to calculate everything he does, as far as he can calculate in his mind how it's going to end. For instance, you give, you give with charity, is very, very important to calculate. Why? Because it's, it's an investment for eternity. It's not an investment for two, three days or 70 years. Do you be rich in this life or not? It's an investment for eternity. You give a check to someone, This someone, who is this someone, will determine your eternity. You give it to Reuven, you got zero. You give it to Shimon, I'm just using names. You give it to Shimon, you got trillions of mitzvot. Same amount, same efforts. You work for that check one week from your life. Here you give it, it's like burning the the money. Or Here you give it, it will bring you constant reward for eternity. You have to know where to invest. So if a clever person always calculate, what do I gain here? What do I gain over there? And if he calculate correct, usually he won't make mistake because he's gonna think, I'll invest over here. Then somebody will become religious, and one day he have ten children, and one day he have hundred grandchildren, and another four years he's gonna have thousand grand grandchildren, and most of them will keep Torah and mitzvot, and I'm gonna benefit from all of them. It's gonna be an army of people working for me. Over here I will invest. What would I get? What would I get? from this person, what would I get? You have to know where to invest. Just like in a stock market, you don't just pick up a broker from the newspaper. You want someone with good reputation, honest, knowledgeable, professional. He will bring you residual income constantly, and the other one, (laughs) you probably lose your money in a day. Of course, when it comes to mitzvot, you have to be much more careful. then, so you have to think, what I'm doing for good now, or for bad, where will it end? You make one scene, many of the people, they go and they do one thing because of 10 minutes of desire, 10 minutes of desire, then they lose their marriage, they lose their comfortable life, they lose their children, their children one day hates them, they ended up lonely somewhere, then in the end, 10 minutes that he wanted to do something that his desire pushed him towards, his entire life destroyed, but it's not only here. It's his children, grandchildren. It's all a chain reaction for eternity. For 10 minutes of pleasure. And you know what? He, he didn't even enjoy these 10 minutes. In the end, if a person really calculate how much he loses for how much he gains, horrible, horrible. How much we lose for stupidity, for moment of weakness. And moments of weakness... Are coming because you're not having Torah knowledge, if you learn a lot of Torah every day, those moments of weakness cannot affect you so easy. when you're empty of Torah, every tiny wind that comes right away make you fall. But if you know a lot, you calculate even to know, even to make a scene, a person has to know how. If a person already surrendered to his desire. Now he can do something. He can get the same pleasure here and here. Over here he loses eternity. Over here Hashem will give him a smack. So what's better? To lose your eternity or to get a smack? So even to make a sin, you have to calculate the sin will be the same. As far as what do I gain? The 10 minutes of pleasure, one hour of pleasure, one week of pleasure, whatever people after. Over here I'll do it in this way. So I'm going to get a sin from the Torah, with a with punishment. Over here I lose everything. I'm finished. For the same amount of phony pleasure. Over here he lost his eternity. Over here Hashem give him a thousand dollars fine. Do you understand what I'm talking about or no? So the point here that a person has to even, even, even when he finally decided to make a scene, even that you have to know how to do. Most people don't know. Most people do not know. For instance, if a person decided to be Mechalel Shabbat, they offering him two jobs. One, a barber, and one, a receptionist. They make the same money. $200 here, $200 there. He has to go work on Shabbat. Yetz Rara killed him. He doesn't have faith in Hashem. He thinks that if he works on Shabbat, he's going to make money. He lives in a dream. So he decided to take one of the jobs. Most people... They don't think which job is worse than the other as far as religion. They think which job I like more. I like barber more, I'll take that. I like receptionist more, I'll take that. That's what they think. They have two jobs. But the person who knows a lot, he says, okay, since I'm going to make a big scene now, which scene is better to make? Being a barber or being a receptionist? Which one? What do you think? Receptionist. Huh? Receptionist is not even 1% as bad as a barber. Because a barber, every time he goes like this, like this, is getting cut from eternity separately. Stoning. Every time. He cut hair, stoning. Cut again, stoning. Turn the machine, stoning. Cut again, stoning. Everything, stoning, 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 5,000 times a day. Receptionist, she sit one hour, read a stupid newspaper. The phone rang. Right? So she picks up the phone, one scene. Then, 20 minutes later, her boss tells her, Can you make me coffee? So she turns the fire on, made him coffee, two stonings. Another hour, another customer walked by, she had to write a telephone number. Every two numbers, it's a scene. So she wrote 718, whatever the number, all together, how many numbers? 10 numbers. It's five different scenes. Five, two, 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 five. All together, by the end of the day, she has 20 stonings. The barber has 50,000, she has 20. Both of them violate Shabbat. Both of them made $200. They think they made. One made 5,000 stoning, one made 20 stoning. You understand? So even to make a scene, you have to know how. If you make a scene, better never to make a scene, of course. So, all right, let's move on. So it says like this. If a person calculates how bad it can travel, and how, what a tragedy, for instance, intermarriage is a great example. A person go and marry Christine today, does he think that in two or three generations he will have a grandson called Adolf Hitler? doesn't think about it. Who do you think he came, Hitler came from? Two or three generations, his grand-grandmother they say was Jewish. Many sources claimed it, that he comes from a Jewish descendants. Mix, of course. is a goy. He's not a Jew. But he has some Jewish blood in him from one of the father's sons or whatever. Whatever. I don't know exactly his history, but this, is, this rumor is, is everywhere. Assume this rumor is true. And even if it's not, there's many other people who that's how they came to the world from a sin of a Jew that went against Hashem. Now when he goes to hell, every year he has to see the disaster that happened to his nation because of one stupid choice that he made. It continued to grow. The tragedy continued to grow and grow and grow forever. How is he ever going to correct it? How? I'll give you an example of Ben-Gurion, the Prime Minister of Israel. In Israel, they call streets after him, schools after him, the airport, the airport after him, they clap for him, they, 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 they write articles about him, they admire him. But he's responsible... For many of the Jews that live today, like Goim, he forced the secular, communist way on the religious people and forced them, especially the Yemenite, by cutting their peot and in their beards and forced them to walk on Shabbat. So some of these Yemenites today sit in prison for murder. Who has to pay for their murders? He. For each one of them. And he has to pay for the orphans who sit home depressed. He has to get punished for the orphans. And one day these orphans will rob a bank because they grew up so bad and they have no chan- chance to succeed in society because they grew without parents. So they became criminal. And one day they kill. And one day they burn. And they, who knows what they do. Everything that will ever happen, he has to pay. You understand what does it mean, what the Ramchal speaks about? How far the sin travels? Most people don't think what's going to come out of my sin. They think what's going to happen in the immediate range. Now, today, tomorrow, this week, I'll manage. Baruch Hashem. They don't think in seven years from now, it's going to be a genocide because of you. You understand what's happening here or no? When, uh, when Bet HaMikdash, there is a famous story, in Massechet uh, Gittin, speaking about Kamtsa bar Kamsa. It was a party. Someone invited Kamsa. When the Bar Kamtza came, similar, his son came, so he hated him, the owner of the party. He said, leave the party. He said, listen, don't embarrass me, I'll pay for my meal. Ignore me. No, 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 get up get up, and get out of here. No, yes, no, I'll pay you for the entire meal. Don't embarrass me now. You know, nobody wants to be embarrassed. You can solve it with money, you pay the money. No, get, get up and get out of here. He screams, and all the rabbis, everyone sees... And he said, i pay you for the whole thing, leave me, let me go, I'll leave slowly, lay there, no, get out. And he threw him out. Nobody made a beep. And he wanted to take revenge against the rabbis who did not (laughs) protest. He said, you should have got up and tell him, hey, how do you do such a thing, even if he's your enemy, even if he's a wicked person. You embarrass him in front of everyone, it's not so simple. He leaves, we also leave. That's what they really should do. But since none of them made a beep, they're all sitting eating their steak, chickens, whatever it was, drinking L'chaim, and this guy is embarrassed in front of everyone, he said, I'm going to teach them a lesson. Next thing, he went to the Romans, he said to them, listen, you know, the Jews, they're very prejudiced against you and racist. If you're going to sacrifice one of your goats, they won't take it because you're non-Jewish. He lied to them. So he said, bring your sacrifice, and you see that they won't sacrifice it. They won't. So they gave him a, a, a goat, and he cut his lip, whatever. He made a defect him, in him, because when, when it's a defected animal, even if he Jew owns it, doesn't matter, he cannot sacrifice it. They brought it to the, the Beit HaMikdash, and there was a Zahariah ben Avkulas. It was one of the... Kohanim. Yeah, one of the Kohenim that was thinking, now, if I sacrifice it, I violate the rules of Hashem. If I don't sacrifice it, then who knows what can happen. The, the, the Romans, he was thinking, thinking. In the end, they decided not to sacrifice it. That was a critical mistake that he made. That mistake destroyed the holy temple. They went crazy. And they went and made all kinds of decrees. And the tragedy happened. And all these things that happened later. It's one thing leads to another. Until today, we suffer. So you see... Even an innocent mistake. It wasn't a wicked person. It was a big hacham. He, he meant well. He didn't want to violate the rules of Hashem. But sometimes in life, you have to choose between two sins. A huge sin or a small sin. What are you going to choose? Small. You have to choose the small. What can you do? It's Either, either way. It's not, they'll kill you. So if you can get away with a smaller sin, of course, even today, with some people make sins. When they come to a rabbi, there are two kinds of rabbis. The rabbis who are book smart, and the rabbis who are book smart and street smart. What's better? Book and... Sm- and s- if it's only street smart, it cannot be a rabbi. <laughs> you know? But if you're only book smart, it's also in this generation you cannot be a good rabbi. You have to feel the generation. What's happening out there? You have to know what Facebook is. You have no choice. People are talking about these things. You have to know what to see, what advice. You have to know about business. You have to know about stock market. You have to know about this, uh, television. You have to know about uh, drugs. There's so many things that are happening every minute. If you live in your closet over there somewhere, you lock yourself all day with your Torah and learn Torah 20, 30 years, and you don't know what's happening in the world, you're not capable of giving advice to people. So sometimes... A rabbi like this, a holy man that doesn't know what's happening a- around the corner from his home, someone comes and sees him in a shul and asks him a question. And he says, listen, rabbi, I have a girlfriend. And uh, you know we're living like a husband and wife. Because her parents don't want us to get married. She's still young. She goes to college. So should she go to the mikveh?" So he's going to say to him, what do you mean? She's, an, she's, not a, she's not a married woman. She's not allowed to go to the mikveh." So what is he gonna say to him? Shame on you, Rasha! How are you asking me this question? What right, the mikveh is a place to to purify the prostitutes? That's the the point of a mikveh? Get out of here, don't ask me these questions. Right? But if he knew this what's going on in a situation in a situation like this, do you think he needs your approval if she goes or not? He's gonna make the scene anyway. It's not going to What are you gonna tell him? Oh, leave your girlfriend. He's a chiloni. He tries on Shabbat. He smoked drugs for breakfast. He, he, now, he has a moment of thinking someone told him it's his sur karet. So he's thinking, you know, if I'm making the sin anyway every day, if I can lower the, the punishment by 80%, what do I care? I'm willing to compromise. So, he has to tell him he, does, he cannot give him instruction making him feel good about his sin. That's for sure not allowed. But he has to tell him, when you make scene A, this is the punishment. When you make scene B, this is the punishment. And in Hebrew, we say, amevin yavin. If he's clever enough, he gets the point. Not clever? It's not clever. cannot legalize the scene. Language, you have to be very careful. But if you teach him, just like teaching, if you make the scene this way, this is the punishment. If you make it this way, this is the punishment. So what's going to happen? This guy doesn't want to get a hundred times bigger punishment. So he's going to do something to lower the sin. To, con- to quit the sin completely, no chance. In his situation right now, he's not capable of stopping his desires. So what's better? However, some say, no. Let him bury himself. The deeper he does, better it is. Which is right. Ah, uh, Which is right? The first one is right first one is right. Why? Because if you know this person is a wicked person that does everything purposely against the truth and against God to get God angry, feed him the poison and let him die. Yes. Let him make bigger sins that Hashem will destroy him. The faster, the better. But most of the Jews in the world today, and even the Goim, do you really think they're so evil and they make the sins because they want to get God angry? No. They are such ignorant people, they have no idea what they live for, They don't know nothing from their life. They don't know one word of Torah. They grew up 100% goyim, one in Russia, one in a kibbutz, one in Manhattan. They have no idea what they live for. Finally, they heard the tape here and there of some words of Torah, and he got some sense into them, and he woke them up a little bit to come and speak to a rabbi. That's not the type of people that God says feed him the poison and let him die. Feed him the poison, and let him die, as a person who knows the truth, but does on purpose, leachis. I really don't, I didn't meet that many people like this. Yeah, maybe a few. So the other people, you gotta have a pity on them. You know, you know where they're going, because they make every second of their life a horrible sin. So the end, the end will be very bitter. If you can make it a little bit sweeter, it's a mitzvah, no? It's your brothers. What's the point of pushing him towards a bigger sin? That's for sure not. Anyway, let's move on. So uh, the Ramchal continue. He, he brings this example that there was G'dalia ben Achikam. We have Tsom G'dalia, the fast of G'dalia. Almost nobody knows why we're fasting in these days. But in, in the Prophet Irmia, chapter 40, he speaks about him. What happened is, it says that he was a very big tzaddik, G'dalia. And the Romans, they, they, they put him here in charge. They put him in charge of of the, I I believe it was the blue blood of the hilazon, the special fish that they take out their blood, and it's it's big business, and they told him, you be in charge of the taxes that we're going to make. If we're going to get the taxes that we demand, you'll be the governor, and we won't touch the Jews. Get us the money, we'll leave you alone. And then there was a wicked person, his name is Ishmael, that uh, I think, I think it doesn't say here, but if I remember correctly, his name was Ishmael ben Natania. I think. That was his name. So he wanted to kill Gdalia, and somebody came to warn Gdalia. So the person that came, his name was Yochanan ben Kareach. He came to him, he said to him, Rabbi, this wicked person is planning to kill you. So he said to him, why do you speak bad against the Jew? How do you speak Lashonara against him? I don't want to hear it. And what happened in the end? They killed him. They rebelled against the Goim. The Goim saw what happened, and they came and destroyed everything. And a big tragedy happened, and many people got killed because of that. Why? One mistake of being extra righteous in a place that you were not supposed to. If someone warn you from a person is killing you, don't be fool. Don't be naive. Yeah. You have to wake up your head. Wait, maybe, maybe it's a lie. My, there's 1% chance he's on the way to kill me. How can I ignore the warning? Also, sometimes someone tells you about someone in business. Don't invest by him. It's very dangerous. He's a crook. There's always a large possibility that it's a lie. It's not a crook. Someone, maybe a competitor, making him a bad reputation. Maybe someone has something personal with him. So he makes up a lie about him because he wants him to lose business. You take everything to consideration but would you gamble on your money? What happen if this person this 5% chance is right? It's already a reason to be scared. There's a reason to fear your money. So even in the end, you come to heaven, and this person says, why you didn't invest the money by me? Because you heard Lashonara about me, huh? Don't you know in Allah to get Lashonara? So you say, no, yeah, Lashonara not. I do not know what parts of the story is true. Since there's a doubt, the doubt was created, that's enough. Maybe you're 100% innocent. I also took that possibility to consideration. I also thought to myself, you know what, maybe this person is 100% innocent. But there's a 1% chance that he's not, I'm not putting my money there. We have a rule. Certain and maybe, you always go with the certain. Maybe the maybe is also certain. We don't know. Maybe yes, maybe not. Maybe, for me, it's enough not to invest there. Same thing, people that live in America. And they think, should I make Aliyah to Israel? Should I go? Should I move to Israel? Should I move? Should I move? Holy Land, Jerusalem, this, that, a lot of things. So what's the rule? What's the rule? How do you know if you have to move or not? Some of the people, the rabbi tell them, move tomorrow. Some people, the rabbi say, no, you're not allowed to move. Stay here. How can it be? The answer is, depends who the person is. If everything in his life goes bad. No spirituality, children do not do good in school, no parnasa, uh, all kinds of things, no no kosher synagogue. Not one positive thing in his life over here. So what can be worse? Whatever you have here, worse comes to worse, you'll have over there. No parnasa, no good synagogue. no yeshiva, no good school for the kids. It will be equal. So right now it's certain that it's terrible. Certain that it's terrible against 50-50 that it's going to turn good, you go with the 50-50. But if everything goes good here, the kids doing well in school, they learn Torah, they're on the right side, the neighborhood is clean from criminals, you have good marriage, you have good parmasah, everything is fine. And you do mitzvot, you learn Torah, you're closer to Hashem every day here. How do you take the risk of going over there that you may lose everything in a month? How, who will guarantee you that your children will settle in good in school and, and merge into the system over there? That the kids over there are much sharper, much more aggressive, maybe it's going to turn away your kids, they soft, American, you know, they'll come into the Israeli mentality, it's going to confuse them, and all of a sudden they lose their confidence, maybe the level of the learning is not the same. Maybe they'll hate it, they'll get depressed, maybe your wife will be depressed, maybe you won't have parnasan, since you don't have money, you cannot do what you want, it will take you away from Hashem. Could be so many risks. No, no, Rabbi, the Holy Land, the Holy Land. What Holy Land? Holy soul is more important than Holy Land. You want to destroy your soul and your children's soul for eternity by taking such a risk? This is a gambler. That's not a clever person. Everything you have to put on a scale. Not only Israel, even moving from New York to New York, five blocks away. It's already a, a question that can create a tragedy forever, or be a great salvation. It's all depends. So we have the rule. Certain and maybe, every, we always go to the certain side. Even if the maybe will bring great news in the end, I'm not a prophet. I cannot predict what's going to happen. There's a doubt. Same thing in marriages. You go out with a girl, there's a doubt or two, don't get married. Not allowed to get married. Why? Maybe it will turn into a great marriage. Maybe it will be a disaster. 50-50. Who's going to take such a risk, suffering 30, 40 years now? Maybe yes, maybe not. The first time I ever heard yesterday something new. Up to today, I heard that many of the couples go to marriage counselor. They need someone to consult them on their marriage situation. So that's fine. At least people try to fix their marriage, so they go supposedly to a specialist if it's a kosher person. Yesterday I heard something new, believe it or not. First time I heard that. Guess what? A couple goes to marriage counselor before they got married. They're only dating. (laughs) Serious. Already problems. Already disagreements. So before they get married, (laughs) the guy comes to me and says, you know, I have to go to a marriage counselor. I say to him, what? You're not married. What marriage counselor? I say, yeah, there's already this dilemma, problems. I say to myself, before you even got married, you already have to go to the marriage counselor already twice a week. You might as well stay single, no? It starts like this. (laughs) No, not true. Sometimes a person meets someone and he knows his shiduch. Everything is perfect. Kosher girl, modest, akiwan, clever, he loves her, he's attracted to her, everything is fine. There's no doubt about it. He loves the family, he loves her style, he loves her manners. He didn't find any problem. And even if you have some minor problem, because no one is perfect, obviously, the minor problem is not a factor here. Compared to how much good he gets, it gets 90% good and 10% bad, that's a very good situation in marriage. No one can expect his spouse to be perfect, no one. If you think she will be perfect or he will be perfect, you're not in the right world. You got 90%, wow, oh, ah, it's a great profit. Cannot ask for better. So, very good, there's no doubt. The question is that there's so many problems and there's some good things and a lot of bad things. How is marriage gonna turn in a year from now? A disaster. I just heard a story on Shabbat. Mozei Shabbat, my friend told me a story. What's the story? There's a very rich man somewhere in New York. I don't want to say where. And a very, very rich man. Shomer Shabbat. And he has few sons. Very, very wealthy, of course, the son, They drive very fancy cars. So the son wanted to marry the prettiest Jewish girl available in the market. That's the way my friend described it. So they search around. They found a girl out of New York, somewhere, extremely pretty. Like, you cannot imagine a, a better looking than this girl. And of course, she heard that she's going to be a billionaire. They already, before they even started to talk, she got jewelry enough to live until 870 without working. So it confused her. So the guy was. I guess she liked him, whatever. And they decided to get engaged. But the day of the the, the engagement, there was a big snowstorm, two-day snowstorm. So the day before, the father saw that if the snow will continue, like the broadcast, all the 500 guests would ruin his house. He has a very expensive mansion somewhere here, with lots of antique and, and antique rugs. And everyone come with the mud and the snow. It's going to cost him a disaster in his house. So guess what he did? He got a crew of people, and he built a tent. One million dollars it cost him to build a tent with floor, with air condition, for 500 people, with tables, chandeliers. Not a a tent like you think a tent. tent that looks better than the Hilton Hotel, with all kinds of things. One million dollars. And he made this engagement party, and there was already an engagement party by the girls' family. But this is the second one here in New York. And they made a a party that cost a million dollars, and they got divorced two weeks after the wedding. You understand what's happening today? And that's 100% pure stupidity. The, The sign was on the wall all alone. How they didn't read it. What's going on in this world? I'm thinking to myself how these kind of people have the nerve to call themselves religious. This is my question. Forget all the things that happen, I'm not surprised. How you come and claim that you are a religious person, that you can burn a million dollars on a show of parody and do all these stupid things, and then, I don't know, maybe these people give charity, I don't know who they are, I don't know what's their life, I don't know anything. But even if you give 80% of your money for charity, And you're still able to take a million dollars and burn it for a show of night to build because you're afraid of your rugs or something like this. Something smells very bad here, very, very bad. To claim that somebody like this is very close to Hashem, there's no chance. So the Ramchal says that if you don't put on a scale you are in a situation. You don't know good, bad, bad against wars. You have to wait everything and to see to what, what turn to make. And sometimes you just have to pause. When you don't know, there's two ways and you don't know which one is good, which one is bad. So you pause. You pause until maybe the picture will get clear. In life, you have a lot of situations like this. You, to do, not to do. To do, not to do. You don't know. To do, maybe it's going to be a disaster. Maybe it will be good. Not to do, To do something else, maybe also be disaster or good. So I don't know, left or right, I don't know. If I make a right, I go to the shul. If I make a left, I go to the shul. I don't know, I ended up in Las Vegas. So what do I do? I don't know, I'm going to end up in Sodom and Gomorrah, or I'm going to end up in Jerusalem. So since you don't know, you stand. You stand, maybe five minutes later, somebody comes, excuse me, you know the way to Bet HaMikdash? Yeah, it's over here. Until then, I don't make a turn. Why? Because I don't know. If I have 80% reason to believe that it's the right turn and 20% that it's wrong, I go by the majority. But if it's a 50-50 dilemma, you don't move. It's called shev alta seadif, adif, sit and do nothing. Why? To do a sin with your hands acting is worse than to do a sin not doing anything. Sin that you're posing is not as bad as sin that you do with your hands. When you actually do something, it makes the sin worse. So it's better, since you don't know what to do, you pause. You don't do anything. And then in the end, you see that you missed an opportunity. But it's not as bad as doing something wrong with your hands. So now let's move on. It says like this. Rabbi Yochanan say, being humbled, Rab Sharia, this is what I said before, destroyed our temple, buried our, the house of God, sent us to the exile, brought us all this suffering. Why? Because one Jew wanted to be extra-righteous in the wrong place and in the wrong time. This is what King Solomon said, there is, you have to know when to be extra-righteous and when not. Sometimes a person try to be extra-righteous and he causes a disaster. Let me give you an example. If you come to a place when the people are very modern, very modern, They're not strictly religious. They're very modern. They barely eat kosher, barely keep shabbos. Modesty, they never heard what it is. And you come and pretend that you're the Sali inside the shul over there. Not only you won't bring any aid to this kind of people, you make them hate the religion more. You want to be more righteous right now, and you get them hate the religion more, and feel they will feel offended. Why? Because you do all these things in front of them, and that's going to make them, it's it's uh, they get intimidated. You understand? So you have to know to use your common sense what, when to do what. If it's an obligation from the Torah, you're not going to walk half naked just because everyone is wicked around you. You don't have permission. You don't have permission, you don't have permission. But things that is not mandatory. For instance, one person sent me a question yesterday. He moves into a place from his job. And over there, the minyan, the shul, is much more modern than where he prays right now. So where he prays right now, he puts black hat on Shabbat. Because everyone puts. Now he's moving to a place, nobody ever saw a black hat in their life, in that shul. So he's thinking now, would I come look like a rabbi over there with a black hat, when everyone has a yarmulke size of a quarter? And all of a sudden, I came like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai <laughs> over there. Or oh, it's better, I come just with a Yamaka since the black hat is not an obligation. Sidur. It's not an obligation. Or when you come out of the bathroom, do you really need the Natlan the to make Netila out of the bathroom? No. It's better always to use it. But if you come to a place that no one over there does it, they all go like this with the faucet. They wash their hands after the bathroom quickly. And all of a sudden you go like this in front of everyone, and even the rabbi over there is not using it. That's already called your harrah. You have to know. Am I allowed to say it? Am I allowed to do it? You gotta use your head. When something is mandatory, you must do it. It's not open for debates. This is what the Torah say, this is what I have to do. They all speak Lashonara. I'm not gonna be nice to them and join their conversation. No. They all dress half naked. I'm not going to tell my wife, okay, dress like them because we want to mingle and be a part of the community. No. I have to bring them to the level of the Torah, not to go down to their level. But certain things, it's called Khumrot. Khumra! Khumra, it's not an obligation. It's very nice to do extra. But not always. It changes clothes? It changes hats? No, so the question is, the que- it's all the question is how it's going to affect the place where he comes. He comes, he has no choice. He wants to join the Shul. If he will feel, he will make them feel intimidated. Because remember, people that are extra, extra modern, they don't feel comfortable and about, eh, close to extra, extra righteous. Well, why is he going to that Shul? Oh, he has an obligation from his work. He has no choice. I don't know. I didn't investigate his entire life story. It's questions, answers. You, you, most of the time, you don't know who the people that ask the questions. I'm not even answering this question right now. I'm just telling you what are we, what, how a person has to look at the life in a clever way. For instance, Rabbi Tzion Abba Shaul was a very big Hasid, way above the requirements. I asked him a question if he goes to a place that people pray without black hat, if he should put his black hat, since no one does, or no. So he says, you are required to put it in a place that everyone does it. It's Minhag makom. But if you go to a place that it's not the custom over there, and to be unique in a certain way, it's not an obligation. He didn't say you're not allowed. Say you're not obligated. In other words, if you want to pray there without a hat, you're allowed. But if you come to a place like Mansi, when everyone puts it everywhere you go, then you're required to do it, even if you don't, normally don't do it. You come to a place like this, don't be unique to negative. You come to a place like this, don't be like Shlomo Amelich say, Altiez Adikarbe. Why? If it doesn't affect anyone the opposite, you see their respect and they're happy. Oh, someone righteous came to our community finally. Of course you do it. You set an example. But if you see that they don't like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's offending them. Because remember, some people, when they see someone does the right thing, it bothers them. Because it shows them how losers they are. You understand? I'll give you an example. If somebody is in an island, And his father gave him a very old car, smoking, vibrates, makes a lot of noise. He never saw any other car. He's the only one who drives a car. Everyone else in the island goes on a donkey or a camel. So everyone bowed down to him because he has a machine that drives. One day, another group of uh, immigrants arrived to the (laughs) the island (laughs) and came out of the boat, and they came with a beautiful, fancy car, quiet, nice, shiny, sport car, and now the car next to him, everyone spit in his car, get out of here, you in your car. What happened? He doesn't enjoy this anymore. He preferred to go to the donkey now. What changed? Up to now, it was the uh, ultimate way, the perfect way. When he saw that his car compared to this, is garbage. And then he, re- he realized now that m- as-, as long as I didn't see the other one, I was perfectly fine with what I have. When I see something much better than me, it makes me... Upset about what I have. Up to now it was perfect. Same thing about marriages. Same, when a person uh, gets married to a pretty wife, he's very happy from his wife. look. One year, two years, five years. When he begins to go and see non modest things, which the Torah says in to do, the more he looks at other things around, then he's not so excited from his wife anymore because he compares to 5,000 other women. It drives him crazy. But if you listen to Hashem, and be satisfied with what Hashem gave him, he would be the happiest person on earth. What made his marriage bad now? Different sin that he did. Affected his marriage. He would be a person that satisfied with what he has, thank Hashem for what he gave him, focus on the pleasure that he had from his wife for the last 10 years and continue with that forever. Everything will be fine. He wanted to go to different places and look at all kinds of things. It's not about everything in life. You have the nicest watch, You begin to see 500 others, you don't like yours anymore. You understand? This is how a person is. The more he becomes hungry to look around, the less he enjoys what he has. The less he enjoys. And when does a person appreciate what he has when he loses it? When you have something? Like some people, they make easy money, lots of money. Then all of a sudden, two or three bad years come, something changed in the business, they made a regulation, they changed the law. All of a sudden, he doesn't make 10 percent of what he used to make. So now he sit in his house and think, "Wow, just a year ago, every day, 10,000, 15,000. I didn't appreciate. I burned. I did now. I'm struggling so much to make a thousand. I killed myself. so he begins to appreciate what he had. But a year ago, yeah, he took it for granted. Most of the wealthy people don't understand how lucky they are, they don't have to bother. They take it for it, that's the way it should be. Take it away from them, put them in jail for one month. When they go back to their house, you know how they'll appreciate their house? Now they understand what they have. This is the way of uh, nature of a person. So, here, the Ramchal gives an example of what I talked about. Let me read it from his own words, it would make more sense. Here, look, it says like this. The Torah says you have to improve the way of other Jews. How many times a person come into an argument with other Jews that are sinning? In a place that there is no chance whatsoever they will even listen to one word of what he say. In the middle of a mixed dancing party when they drink Lechaim, they finish five bottles of whiskey each one, all of a sudden this Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai decided to give a speech. What's the chance these guys would listen to you right now? Not only they won't listen to you, they'll do on purpose more scenes to get you out of there. They'll do more scenes now. Up to now they did 80% scenes, now they go 100%. Why? Well, you get on their nerve. When they all enjoy, enjoy the whiskey and the dancing and the bad music, now you come and decided to give them a shiur musar, a lecture. What happened at the end? The Ramchal say, Gorem you make them more wicked on purpose. it's called חילול disgrace the name of Hashem, and to add more sins to their sins on purpose. Why? You, you didn't use your common sense. You have to be clever. Sometimes a fight will come out of it. And the mitzvah not only will not gain any honor to Hashem, would, would lower his honor, his, uh, will not increase his honor, like you thought he will be. Did By ten... Pinchas didn't make any fight. Pinchas did what the Allah required. No, he didn't start teaching them. If Pinchas would come and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong, not wrong, he went and killed them. That's what he had to do. But if he would have to talk to them in the middle of the act to stop, something horrible probably would come out of it. So it says like this, the Ramchal say, if you know the people won't listen to you, no chance, better not to talk. If you're going to do extra now, for instance, you come to a place, everyone pray, six minutes, Shmona You usually pray one hour, and you are the tenth one in a minyan. Nine people there, you are the tenth. What are you going to do now? You're going to become a babasali, one hour praying, and all of them waiting for you to finish. You know how much they go, they're going to hate midat Hasidut? Not only they, their prayer will not get accepted; they will violate 100 sins, each one of them, by every minute hating you for wasting their time. Every place has the right place and the right time to be extra righteous. Depend where, depend on the situation, depend how many people suffer because of it. So the Ramchal said. In a case like this, in a case like this, that you cause aggravation to so many people because you decided to be extra righteous, and right now, and many people would, uh, would be affected because of that, would be upset, better not to make a big deal, better not to run after that, give up. We are not talking obligations, remember. What the Torah obligates, none of us has permission to negotiate in a mitzvot. What you must do, you must do. We're talking extra, extra. What does it mean extra? You know, there are people who have to go to work. They work for someone. They cannot be late. There's no time now to start making a show. Do what you must do. They leave. Everyone left. Stay in the shul until midday. What do you? Nobody tell you not to. After they left, make your prayers, make... Sing, request, cry, sit on the floor, put ashes on your head, whatever you want. Why you make everyone wait? Or I'll give you another example. You fly to Israel, Elal. Everyone wants to pray in Minyan, 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 because they want to say Kaddish, Baruch, it's important. But how many passengers suffer because you want to pray in the morning? Everyone wants to go, excuse me, to, uh, some lady wants to go to the bathroom, she has to go between 20 Hasidim like this. And this oh, I cannot go. And they scream, move, you you don't see I'm praying. What do you mean you're praying? It's your house here. (laughs) Pray in your chair. This is things. If they give permission, they give permission. But there's always going to be one religion hater that will come and make a big deal out of it. Always. So So it's his problem. No. It's not his problem. Because... You place. Place. Yeah, because you, in a public place, when you're going to do something that offend the people that own the place, because right now it became the territory public. Everyone bought a ticket, right? Yeah. So it's like a like a neighborhood. Can you do whatever you want in your neighborhood? No, but you're right. If there is a corner that you do not affect anyone, you're right. But this is right on the way. There's no other way. You close right. the way to the bathroom. So many of the G'dolei Ador writes in their books to pray alone in the plane. Wow. That's right, simple. G'dolei Ador, they sit in their place, put fill in and pray alone, if sitting. they're on a the plane. Sitting, sitting, <laughs> sitting. <laughs> sitting. yes, sitting. sitting. Praying Shmona yeah. sitting. I saw few answers like this from G'dolin. Better he sits in his place, not offend anyone. You mm-hmm. understand? So there are many examples like this he gives a few more examples. He says like this. The Levi's in Bet HaMikdash. Everyone who runs to the Aaron, how do you say Aaron? The coffin? The coffin? Not the coffin. The, what's the name of it in English? The Ark. The Ark? Yeah. The Ark. So everyone wants to do the service in the ark because the reward by Hashem is very big. So all the Levites, the Levim, they run to the Aaron, to the ark. And they leave the table and the menorah, right? They leave it because it's not as big reward. Everyone wants to do the biggest reward, right? And everyone runs to the ark. And because of that, they fight. They push. No, I was first. No, I was first. You know how it is. And then, because of that, Hashem used to punish them severely. For what? For trying to do a big mitzvah. But trying to do this big mitzvah on the expense of others and fighting with them, it, didn't, it, it turns into a sin, not a mitzvah. You understand? So, Hashem used to punish them. In A person must keep all the mitzvot, 100%, with no discounts. And not to be afraid and to be embarrassed from anyone. Right? Unless we are talking about the extras. Remember. The obligation, there's a boss to the world. You don't like it, it's your problem. Like the Rabbi said. But the extras, minyan, it's an extra. There's obligation to pray. Minyan is hidur. Idur mitzvah. Idur, it's a different story. You need to light Hanukkah candle. They don't allow oil for whatever reason. You can do it with candles. Oil is better. Candle is also mitzvah. Not as good as oil, but you fulfilled your obligation. So if you're by uh, your host and you say, please, we don't use oil here, we're afraid, leaks, whatever. whatever. Okay, so I'll do it. Not as good, but I fulfilled my mission. Why? I don't want to be righteous on the expense of someone's feelings. You understand? Or you want to learn Torah all night. Because you want to learn Torah all night, your stingy horse crying in his bed all night. Why? You keep the air condition and the lights on all night. You're happy and he's suffering. Ask permission. Ask him quietly, not in front of people. Of course, in front of people, I'll be embarrassed to tell you, no, no, I prefer you go to sleep at 12 o'clock, that you save me seven hours of air condition or heat, a pen, right? So it says like this, sometimes a person comes to your house, three hours shower. In Israel, <laughs> water is very precious. You know, they put uh, commercials on the television, save water, there's no water, save water. The American Uncle Sam came to Israel. Three hours, everyone <laughs> <laughs> in Israel. No one washed their cars because there's not enough water. Three hours in the shower, singing, <laughs> and making a party. <laughs> you want to be clean? Be clean in New York. In Israel, you live like them. You know, like they say, in Rome, in Rome be Rome, Roman. As long as you not be a wicked person, right? So it says like this. It says, David King say, neged VeloEvosh. Hashem, when I used to, make to, I used to go to the convention with other kings, everyone talks about nonsense. I speak words of Torah. I'm not embarrassed. Let them talk about horses, women, business. And what do I talk about? The Torah, Moshe, what Hashem, what Hashem does in the world. And Chazal say, Be strong. Like a leopard. leopard not afraid of anything, F- goes into the danger. When it comes to be righteous, don't be afraid of everyone. Whatever they think, they think it's not your problem. But remember, we are talking obligations. The extra you have to see, sometimes to compromise, depend on this on every given moment. Sometimes, yes, sometimes no. Depend who is around you, how they're going. Sometimes a person be a little upset, no big deal. It's not going to get really, you know, angry. He would prefer you do it different. But if you did it this way, it's no big deal. But if you will go crazy and start speaking, screaming, gets angry, kick you out, whatever, better you wait until the situation will allow. And then it says like this. All the extras that a person would do it in front of, a large ignorant audience. Not people who learn Torah. What do they know? And he wants to do what you normally do in your yeshiva back there at home, but now you're visiting in a town that everyone is ignorant. They don't know. If you know that what you do make them laugh at you and think that the religious people are crazy, if it's not an obligation from the Torah, you're not allowed to do it. Because don't try to be righteous right now extra and make 500 people laugh at the religion because they're stupid. You have to understand that they're stupid and they don't understand anything and try to go in their level. You understand? That's why sometimes certain things you come to a place. You know, if you're going to do it the way you normally do, the people start get angry. And then tomorrow when they need to keep Shabbat, they won't keep because they say, oh, your religion is too much. Because you did all kinds of extras, the extras make them give up. Oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do that. Forget about it. I don't want to hear about it. If you tell him one or two things that he must do, he will do it. Since you told him 50 things that are not required, it's all the extras. Now when it comes to something that is life and death, he doesn't want to hear. So you lost a lot more than you gained. That's why when I come to make a person religious, I only tell him 10% of what I have to tell him. I tell him the whole nine yards, I know he's going to run away and never hear from him ever again. So I talk to him about critical sins. scenes. Shabbat, this is what you do. This, this is what you have to do. I don't talk to him about go to Minyan three times. I don't talk to him about Tzitzit. I don't talk to him about 90% of what we do. I don't talk to him about, why. Doesn't put Tzitzit. He doesn't have four corners. He lost the mitzvah, but it's not... He's not violating a rule from the Torah. Let's not start with that. Shabbat is violating. It's worse than a murder. I cannot be silent. I must stop him from that. Tefillin he doesn't put is a very big problem. You have to put Tefillin every day. He makes scenes with his girlfriend. It's his Karet. cannot be quiet about this. But other things. He doesn't want uh, right now dress like uh, ultra-Orthodox people. Who cares right now? Let him first stop the important scenes that he make. In five years from now, we'll talk to him about his genes and the other things that he does. It's not in this level yet. Or to make him run to the synagogue three times a day, he's going to see, you know, he's not used to it. He's in the middle of his business. He's going to see after a week, he's going to give up, and then he's going to be Mechalel Shabbat. So what caused him to be Mechalel Shabbat? The extras, which were not mandatory yet. It wasn't mandatory. If you tell him pray at least once a day, start, then in two years from now he would pray three times in minyan. Guarantee. One thing leads to another. If you give him a lot of extras, he doesn't have strength anymore to do what he must do. And then you lose everything. This we have a saying in Hebrew, Tafasta lotafasta. You tell him all the derisis, all the, all, the, all the Shabbos things, all the things? No, not all the things. Only to start that they're already in. If you tell him everything, wow, so many, so many things. I once did this mistake. And from then I learned. And then I saw it in all the books. They all give the same advice. A person, it's the same thing in medicine. You don't give a person the dose, full dose, right away. You give, they let the body digest slowly, slowly, and get used to the situation. You give it too much, even though it's positive medicine, maybe you give too much, you kill the person. You have to do the same thing. You have to purify him in a process, like drug addicts. Like all, It's a process. You have to know how to do it. You don't know how to do it. You mean well. But you know what they say. The way to hell is full of good intentions. <laughs> yeah, the surgery was successful, but the patient died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know when it just, it just, someone just told me a joke. I don't know if I should say this joke. He said, one person came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I have two offers to go on a date. Rachel and Miriam, who should be the lucky one? So he told them, Miriam should be a wife and Rachel should be the lucky one. You understand? That's an advice I don't want to say of who. It starts with R. (laughs) You got the point or not? I'll give you another joke, then you understand the first one. One reform uh, person came to the, to the rabbi He said, Rabbi, my son went on a trip to Israel. I'm very nervous. He came back with the homage, talit, tzitzit, all these things he puts in the house. The rabbi he said, Oh, in one or two weeks, I'll forget about it. Then the next year he sent another son. That son brought with books, came with books, and came also with tzitzit. He comes to the rabbi, rabbi, I'm very worried. He has this, you know, these things. So rabbi said, don't worry, it's a week or 2 we'll go away. Then a year later, he sent his third son. He came with tzitzit, yamaka, and he wants to go to yeshiva for the samir. So he said, rabbi, this and that, now he's going to yeshiva. And rabbi said, oh, that's a serious problem. We have to check your mezuzot. <laughs> 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 you got it. That's an advice. All right, Hashem Irachem. All right, anyway, let's move on. It says like this. It says like this. That, so that, it, it goes, the Navi says, You want to be extra righteous? Do it in a modest way. Under, under the ground. Don't make a lot of noise. Under the ground. Okay. Kama Hasidim Gdolim, many great Hasidim that do a lot of extras for Hashem every moment of their life, when they used to come among the ignorant ordinary people, they did not do any of the extras in front of them, as long as they were with them. So this is the rule. Whatever is the foundation of the mitzvot, we cannot compromise on. It's, we don't have permission, even if it looks like you make damage, that you did what the Torah required, it's not in your hand. It's not open for any judgment, your judgment or someone's else judgment, but the extras, it's negotiable, depending where you are and in front of whom. And then the Ramchal says, also you have to know what's going to come out of it. Yeah, maybe right now it would look great. But what's going to happen five years from now? Sometimes there's a chain reaction. Right now it looks good. In the end it's going to bring a lot of bed. Also we should know that in the end what you, whatever you did and left in this world Hashem looks at the end of the process. Not in the middle, not in the beginning. What finalized In the end, you wanted to build yeshiva. So you started, and you didn't finish. You gave up. And your friend came and put extra 10% and saved the the project and finished it. This yeshiva in heaven, it's called the yeshiva of the first one, Reuven, or the yeshiva of the second one, Shimon? Reuven put 90%. Shimon came and finished. Shimon, it's called yeshiva of Shimon. Why? The one who finished same thing, if a person dig a hole in the ground, in order for you to be guilty of damages, it has to be deep asarat fachim. Tefach it's this. So asarat fachim is about three feet. So no, asarat fachim, it's one, two, three, four, ten, right? Let's say like this, okay? So now, if a person dig nine, still not guilty, he has to dig one more. And he left at nine. And then another person came and made it deeper by one tefach. And then a donkey came there and fell and broke. Something happened to him. And the owner comes to the one who dig nine. Say, you're going to pay me $1,000 for my donkey. Why? I made nine. Nine I'm not guilty. This guy came and finished it. So who has to pay? The one who finished it. The one who made an extra. But he made 90% of the damage. I made 10 and I have to pay the full? Yeah, by him there was no damage at all. By you now it's 100%. Same thing, if a person gave a person 39 hits with a, with a whip, 39, the doctor examined the person and he said, up to 39, he won't die. He hit him 39, you know, he's not doing so well, but he's alive. And one person came and gave him one more and he died. Without the 39, he would die with the 48, he wouldn't die. Oh. So, both of them actually killed him. One did 90% of the damage, and the last person did 10% of the damage or 1% of the damage, whatever it was. So, who is more murderer here, the first or the second? The second is 100% murderer, the first is 100% innocent. Even though he brought him to 99%, and he finished the 1%. You understand the point here? That's how it goes. Then Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Tarfon used to do like Bet Shammai, which is more strict than Bet Hillel. There's two rabbis, two yeshivot, 2000 years ago. They told him you were supposed to get punished by not following Bet Hillel. Why? I want to be strict, more strict, to do more extra, and I'm guilty? Yeah, because once the law is like Bet Hillel, and you go against what they say, even though you go to strict side, Hashem had mercy on you. But really, this is talking about Kriyat Shema, that he was laying down and there was robbers there in the area. So in the end, they told him, really, Hashem made you a miracle. But technically, you deserve to get punished. For not listening to Bet Hillel, because that's the halacha. We finished. Baruch Hashem, we finished the chapter. Chapter 20, we finished. Next week, chapter 21, how do we gain this level of Midat Hasidut? How do we gain it in life practically? So far we learn the importance of it. We learn how, what does it mean to be a Hasid. The question is how do we practically get to this level? Is it possible in this generation to get to this level or not? This is what we're going to speak about. How to do it in the right way, in the right timing, in the right process. But the only problem is that next Monday, I won't be here. I'm going to LA. I'm going to San Diego on Friday. I have a Shabbaton there, then I stay in LA all week, and I have a Shabbaton in LA, and I come back Sunday. But the following Monday, the lecture is as usual, Bezrat Hashem. I'm going to post on my uh, calendar and the website in events, the places where I'll be speaking in Los Angeles. I know Tuesday I'm going to be in Beverly Hills, Wednesday in the Valley, and there's three other lectures, which I don't know the addresses yet. But I'm gonna post. If you have relatives, friends, Los Angeles, San Diego, you wanna send them to the lectures or to the Shabbatonim, you will know the address by looking in events. Thank you very much and call too.